Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, Exodus uh, chapter 27. In the word of the Lord today. The tabernacle. Praise God. Verse 1, Exodus 27. And thou shalt make an altar of shadim wood, or that's acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, the height thereof shall be three cubits. Thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. Thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes, and his shovels, and his basins, and his flesh hooks, and his fire pans, all the vessels thereof thou shalt make of brass. And thou shalt make for it a grate of network of brass, and upon the net shalt thou make four brazen rings, I'm sorry, four brazen rings in the four corners thereof. Thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar beneath, that the net may be even to the midst of the altar. And thou shalt make staves for the altar, staves of shadow wood or acacia wood, and overlay them with brass. And the staves shall be put into the rings, and the staves shall be upon the two sides of the altar to bear it. Hollow with boards shalt thou make it, as it was showed thee in the mount, so shall they make it. And thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle for the south side southward. There shall be hangings for the court of fine twine linen of a hundred cubits long for one side. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you today. We ask God that your blessing would rest upon the delivery of the word of God. I pray for every person's understanding today. That you'll give every person an understanding of what is going to be preached today. To our guests, God. To those that are regulars, God. To the saints of God. Every person would leave this place understanding what they are hearing, God. I pray that you'll give them a divine revelation, Lord God, of the truth. I thank you, God, for Calvary. I thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood that you shed for us, O God. You're a great King, Jesus. I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost, God, that is upon us today. In Jesus' name, give the Lord a hand clap of praise, please. You may be seated. All right, if you'll notice up here in the tabernacle uh, structure, we've been covering the tabernacle. This brass altar is what we're going to be discussing today. Notice it has an elevated, pitched, runway type of thing going up to it, and there was no steps. Of course, we shared that with you, that God didn't want any of the flesh showing, the ankle showing. It's not appointed of man, it's appointed of God. This is where the sacrifices took place. You'll notice the staves running through it, the brass altar itself. Praise the Lord. This is the gate they would bring the sacrifices to. This gate represented who? What is the whole tabernacle about? Say it again. Jesus Christ. And who else? The church. Say Jesus Christ. And the church. So this is an Old Testament picture of Jesus Christ and the church. So this gate, beautiful gate. Uh, the crimson the, or the scarlet, the purple, uh, the blue and the white that are in this to pick the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Covered that last week. Just in front of this gate, there is this brass altar. This is where the sacrifices took place uh, unto God. Amen. Another picture here of the gate. Priest over here ministering in the background surrounding this altar. 
All right, this is one of the poles we talked about last week uh, the, with the uh, redemption, the silver at the top, which, of course, the silver represents redemption and it's tied with a cord down through this hook into the ground. It's holding up those white linen hangings standing in brass. Where sin did abound, grace did that much more abound, right? Okay. Again, we see this picture. Look at this fire on this altar right here as these priests are ministering. Uh, unto God there these sacrifices and notice these different tables that are laid out here and these animals are being slain uh, for a sacrifice unto God again another picture of the fire of God consuming the sacrifices there as they're working there and they're bringing wood for these sacrifices etc this is a beautiful picture of this brass altar okay. again another picture of it priest ministering around there's the labor just in front of it Okay. Here they are actually catching the blood of the sacrifices that are going to be poured down at the foot of the altar. And we notice this man right here is laying his hands on that sacrifice. What he's doing is he's passing his sin to that sacrifice. That substitute's going to take his place. Okay, so they'd lay their hands on these animals, and that animal took the place of the person. You see this here? Okay. Here's another picture. This is more in detail of the brass altar with the staves. We've got this grate in the center that actually held up the sacrifices. And then the ashes would fall through. And notice it's got the four horns on the altar. We're going to explain all of these things to you. Okay. This is the grate outside of the altar. Notice it is hollow just as the scripture said that it was to be. Right. <clears throat> These are... The sides of the altar, the, the acacia wood overlaid with this brass. We'll explain these things to you. And then the brass labor. This will be next week's study. So, brother, if you'll back it up just a little bit, please. A little back it up. That next other button. Okay, thank you. A little more. Right there. All right, this is what we're going to be discussing today. So, again, if you go back to Exodus chapter 27, and we're going to look in detail at this uh, altar here praise God verse 1 notice it says this thou shalt make an altar of shadam wood say shadam wood the wood the shadam wood or the acacia wood is the humanity of Jesus Christ it is also called incorruptible wood say incorruptible wood this wood that they made this altar out of was hard wood so hard that insects couldn't even penetrate it. That's why it's called incorruptible wood. It was also called everlasting wood. It endured, 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 endured. It just it seemed to last forever. And this is the type of wood that was used in this altar. And again, it speaks of the incorruptible humanity of Jesus Christ. When they took Jesus off the cross and they put Him in a sepulcher, the Bible says in Acts 2 that His body did not see corruption. It was incorruptible. It did not decay. He was bodily raised from the dead. His body did not see decay. Incorruptible wood. His, in His humanity, He was sinless. He never sinned against God. He was perfect and the perfect sacrifice unto God. So that shadow wood we just read about right here, Thou shalt make an altar of shadow wood, speaks of the incorruptible humanity of Jesus Christ. His sinlessness. Say His sinlessness. 
This altar right here is the largest piece of furniture in all of the tabernacle because it represents the cross and it represents Jesus Christ in His flesh being offered as a sacrifice for your sin and my sin. And it is believed that every other piece of furniture would actually fit inside of this altar. Which lets me know that everything I receive from the Lord is based on Calvary. If I'm to receive healing, it's because of Calvary. If I'm to be born again, it's because of Calvary. If I receive the Holy Ghost, it's because of Calvary. Whatever I receive, I receive because of Calvary. So it's the biggest piece of furniture in all the tabernacle pointing to its importance. Amen? Now keep reading the Bible says this. It's five cubits long. Say five cubits long. Five cubits broad. So it's about seven and a half feet long. Seven and a half feet broad. And it's three cubits high. Say three cubits high. These are all significant things. Right? The number five in the Word of God is the number of grace. Say grace. Grace. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? The unmerited favor of God. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's the grace of God. Number five, right? Praise the Lord. It is three cubits in height. When Jesus died, again, what is this a picture of? The cross, His death. When Jesus died on that cross, he went, they took him down off that cross, and they put him in a sepulcher, and he was only there three cubits. He was only there three days and three nights, and in that sinless, incorruptible humanity, one who became sin for us was raised from the dead on the third day. So it's all pictured here in this altar, all right? So let's read a few other things here. It tells us, thou shalt make the horns of it upon four corners. Say four corners. All right, so it's got four corners. Teaching us that the cross should be preached to the whole world. Not just to part of the world, but to the whole world. To the north, south, east, and west. This message must be preached. Y'all believe that? It's for everybody. It's for the whole world. To whosoever believeth. It's got these horns on the top of it. What do these horns represent? See them here? Four things. They represent strength, salvation, security, and power. Where is the strength of an animal found? In its horns. Right? You get a ram, a ram with these horns, watch out, because he'll, he'll butt you with those horns. Why? That's where his strength is. So whenever you look in the Word of God, you talk about horns, you're talking about strength, so that we have strength in the animal, but our salvation, our strength rests in the work of the cross. It represents salvation. When an animal is in trouble, what does it do? It uses his horns to get out of trouble. So if you want to be saved from trouble and saved from sin, you've got to flee to the cross. It represents security. Those horns are what allows an animal to go where it goes. It can defend itself. It can fight for itself. Strength. Say strength. Strength of the animal. Salvation from troubles in the horns of the animal. 
Security is, uh, allows the animal to go where it goes. And it's the power. Say the power. power. Revelation chapter 5, the Bible says Jesus Christ is seen with seven horns. The number seven means completion. It means total. Who has all power? Jesus Christ has got all power. So we have strength, salvation, security, and power in these horns. If you need salvation today, flee to the cross. If you need security today, flee to the cross. If you need strength today, flee to the cross. If you need power today, flee to the cross. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 1, Bible tells us that men, and also chapter 2, men would run into the tabernacle and they would grab hold of those horns of the altar. And when they grabbed a hold of the horns of the altar, you couldn't touch them if it was their first offense, their first sin. And they weren't in rebellion. They could grab a hold of that and it was a sanctuary. It was a refuge. Remember Adonijah ran in there, grabbed a hold of the horns of the altar? What's he doing? He's clinging to God. He's, he's saying, God, I'm not strong in myself. I'm not saved in myself. I'm not secure in myself. I don't have power. I'm not going to rely on myself anymore. I'm going to cling to you, God. I'm going to lay hold of these horns, God, of this altar. See, most of us do just the opposite. We, we hold on to ourselves. We cling to ourselves to get us through. But the Bible's showing us today. We don't need to cling to ourselves. We need to cling to Calvary. We need to cling to Jesus Christ. We need strength today. We get a hold of Jesus and His work at the cross. We need salvation. You need to be saved today. These horns are telling everybody in this church this morning that you need a Savior. Don't leave this place thinking you're alright. You need a Savior. Don't leave this place thinking you're secure today. You need a Savior. So it's a beautiful picture here. And of course, Joab ran in 1 Kings chapter 2. He grabbed a hold of those horns there and held on. But the king said, go ahead and just kill him. Just kill him. Why? Because he was in willful rebellion against God. Serious thing. But it also is a picture of us. That when you grab a hold of Jesus, you may live the rest of your life without persecution. But when you grab a hold of Jesus someday, you might have to die for Jesus Christ, just like Joab did. But either way you look at it, everybody in this place has got to get a hold of the cross. Everybody has got to get a hold of Jesus. Lay hold on to eternal life. You've got to do it for yourself. If you don't, the judgment of God is going to come upon you. But instead, the judgment of God fell upon these sacrifices. That they offered up to God as a substitute for themselves. So you needed a substitute. You needed somebody to die in your place. So you got to run to that and grab a hold of that and say, Jesus, thank you for letting judgment fall upon another for me. So that I won't have to be judged for my sin. Thank you, Lord God. And I lay hold on to that, Lord. I grab a hold of Calvary. I grab a hold of your work. I grab a hold of the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. I grab a hold of your strength. I grab a hold of your power. I grab a hold of your salvation. I grab a hold of your security. And it was all. These horns right here were 
smoothed over with blood. Everything in the, in the tabernacle was covered with blood. It was a tent of blood. Amen? And it was also anointed with oil. Praise God. The, say the Spirit of the living God. So you need a Savior today. Don't think you don't need a Savior because this right here tells you that you need a Savior. It tells you that your sin is, is despicable in the eyes of God. Because God is a holy God. He loves you today, but He's holy. He's righteous. And when you walked in there and into that gate, and you looked at and you saw the sacrifices taking place, it wasn't a pretty sight, man. There was blood flying. You with me? They were catching blood in basins. There was the stench of death in that place. It wasn't a pretty place. And Jesus is trying to show you how terrible your sin is. It's so terrible that Jesus Christ had to be crucified. His blood had to be shed for the salvation of your soul. You can't look at sin and think it's a little thing. You can't look at sin and think it's a light thing. It was a, it's a terrible thing, friend. It will destroy you. Jesus said, I'll die for you. I'll take your place on an old rugged cross. Amen? Let's keep reading. I'll show you a few things more about this. Isn't God good? Aren't you thankful for the love of Jesus? Hallelujah. Thou shalt make for the horns of it upon four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. Say brass. See, this acacia wood, this humanity of Jesus Christ is going to be overlaid with brass. What is brass? Judgment of God. See, the judgment of God is going to fall on His humanity. Let me go and show you in Numbers 21 an example of this brass. So we'll understand what the brass represents. Are y'all with me up to this point? Numbers chapter 21 and uh, verse 4. They journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Amen. Y'all with me? Verse 5, Numbers 21, verse 5. And the people spake against God. So they're complaining against God, right? You don't do that. <laughs> they're complaining against God. And against Moses. Whereof have you brought uh, us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Why'd you bring us out of Egypt? We kind of liked Egypt. We liked the world. Why'd you bring us out here to die in the wilderness for? Moses. Right? All right. For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. We're tired of manna. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Uh-oh. I want to tell you something about these serpents. They were already all around them. They were walking through the wilderness and there were snakes everywhere. Why didn't they bite them until now? See, they're, just, they're about to go into the promised land here. This has been about 40 years or so when you get to Numbers 21. And all of a sudden, God lets these serpents, these snakes, flow into the camp of Israel. Well, the serpent—he didn't, you know—he didn't call them up from San Antonio Zoo, and here they come. Those serpents were all around those people the whole time they're walking through the wilderness. There's snakes everywhere. 
You with me? All right. What is a serpent a symbol of? I want to slow down a little bit so you can catch up with me. What is a serpent a symbol of? The devil. Demons. You with me? In Genesis chapter 3, what the Bible says, the devil came in the form of a what? Of a serpent. And he tempted Adam and he tempted Eve in the garden, right? And Adam fell. With me? So then this serpent is representing and it is symbolic of the devil. And all these serpents that are flocking into their camp is a symbol of demonic powers. Are you here? Now, in case you don't know it, there are demon powers all around you. There are spirits. There are serpents that are all around you. They're all around me today. They're in this world. This world's full of demon powers. And they're slithering all around. The only thing that is keeping you and I from being bitten and being poisoned by demons is God's goodness. If it wasn't for God's divine protection upon you this morning, demon powers would be hitting you. The devil wants to kill you. Demons would be picking you, and they are very strong. They would pick you up and throw you across rooms. See, I I know because I've heard testimonies and things about people who are involved in witchcraft. People who are involved in, in seances and things like that. Tables lifted up. They get picked up and thrown across the room. You know why? Because they're no longer under the protection of God. So these demon powers are able to hit them. If it wasn't for God's protection in your life this morning, demon powers could have their way. They could bite you. They could hit you. They could kill you. They could destroy you. The de- The serpents. We're all around them in that wilderness. But God's protection kept those serpents from biting them. But when they started rebelling against God. And they started sinning against God. God said, I can no longer protect the people like that. And He allowed these serpents, these devils. To hit them, to bite them, and to fill them with poison in their bodies. And they begin to die one after the other because of their sin. And because of their rebellion. Are you here? Okay, so let's read a little bit more and see what happens. Are you here? And the Bible says, And the Lord, verse 6, sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people and much people of Israel. What happened? Died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Now they're going to confess their sin, right? Thank you, Jesus. For we have spoken against the Lord. We've been complaining against God. We've been rebelling. We've been sinful. The Bible says, pray unto the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Amen. The Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent. Hallelujah. Make a fiery serpent. And set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when, it looketh upon, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass. Say brass. And put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. 
God says, here's the remedy. Moses, make a brass serpent, put it up on a pole, lift it up high. With me? If you look up at that brass serpent, you'll be healed. John 3, what did Jesus say? As Moses Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And if I, I, and if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. See, here's the type, the brass serpent, the anti-type, the fulfillment of the type, Jesus Christ. So what God, what you see here in brass is you are meeting God in judgment. Do you understand that? <laughs> so they're rebelling and they're sinning against God. God's good, isn't he? And you know what, God, okay, you know what they're really saying? They're just like, you know, humanity and flesh hasn't changed. Flesh is flesh. (laughs) Right? These people are basically, when they're complaining against God, and they're complaining against Moses here, and rebelling and sinning, you know what they're doing? They're basically saying, God, if we were serving the devil, he'd be better to us. we were serving the devil, the devil could take better care of us than you are, God. So you know what God says? Okay, I'm going to let you have it your way. You think living for the devil, you think living for the serpent would be better? I'm going to let you have the devil. I'm going to let you have the serpent. And then the serpent's going to bite you and the serpent's going to kill you. And then if you'll just flee to me. And put yourself in, back into my hands. Put yourself back into my hands. Turn your back on the old devil. I'm telling you, a lot of people today think serving the the devil, serving the world, that he's going to take better care of them than God will. So God said, I'll let you have it your way. I know people that used to sit in this church, but because they had a God, an idol, money, whatever it was, they left God. And basically what they said was this. We're going to go out and serve the world. We're going to go out and serve the devil because he'll take better care of us than God will take care of us. And so God says, I'll let you have what you want to have. I'll give you that demon. I'll give you that devil. I'll give you that serpent. But it's going to kill you. Don't you see? It's killing you. Don't you see that sin is killing you? Look at this. Praise God. Man, I'm telling you, boy, this is really hitting home. So God God says, okay, take this brass serpent, Moses, lift it up on a stake. Hide. Lift it up. Well, everybody can see this serpent. Brass. Say brass. What God is saying, look at that old dead snake. Look at that dead serpent. I've already judged that devil. I've already judged the devil. I've judged the demon powers. I've judged sin. Look at that dead serpent on a pole. He said, I've already passed judgment on that brass serpent. He's already judged. He's already defeated. (laughs) 
so that Jesus Christ, he was lifted up and fulfills the type of a serpent on a cross. Oh, my, my, my. Now you're really getting into some things now. Jesus Christ became sin for us. He defeated the power of the serpent over your life by his substitutionary death on the cross. So we have then judgment, God meeting them in judgment. There's the brass. Do you see this? Give God praise. See, God will give you to who you want to be your master. You want the devil to be your master? God will say, okay, here. And serve him. But you know what? There's going to be poison flowing in your veins. You, you know what he's saying? Look, you are dying. Sin is killing you. It's killing your family. It's killing you. Look at what sin does. But you know what he said? He said, I love you so much that I'm going to come and I'm going to become that brass serpent. I'm going to become sin. Come on. I'm going to break the power of the devil in your life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the grace of God. See, I thank God this morning because the devil could have his way with me if it wasn't for the goodness of God. Are you with me? My body, how many of y'all have been bit by, the, by a snake? Has anybody ever been bitten by a snake? Got one person. You didn't die. So what happened? Did you have to get some type of serum in you? Okay. To fight that, right? Hallelujah. You're alive, though. And that's what Jesus Christ did for you. And in case you don't know it, you were bitten by the devil. You got sin in your life. And that sin in your life is like a poison that's flowing in your veins. And if you're not careful in a short period of time, you could die and go straight to hell. But Jesus said, I'll come and I'll die, take your place, and I'll give you a serum. I'll give you something to fight that venom. I'll give you something to fight that poison. It's my blood. And you're so, God's so awesome that we don't deserve what He's done. It's the grace of God that caused Him to go to a cross to die for you. And remember in Deuteronomy chapter 28. So I believe that I'm pretty well establishing the fact that brass is judgment. Deuteronomy 28, remember what God said about the heavens? He said the heavens over you are going to be as brass. Right? Well, what is God saying? Well, I'm going to judge you. Because of your sin. Praise the Lord. You want the exact verse? Let's see if I can get it for you here. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 23. All right? The heavens over you are going to be as brass. God said, I'm going to judge you. So brass in the Word of God is judgment. But aren't you glad Jesus took that wrath and He took that judgment? 
And he showed us what rebellion and what sin does to you. It is killing you. But if you look to him, get your eyes on Jesus Christ. Look at the work of the cross. Repent of that sin and that rebellion. You can be saved. Alright, so let's go to Psalm 118, verse 27. We see here these horns. We said before, strength, salvation, security, and power. What held Jesus on the cross for you? His love. He didn't have to die. He didn't have to take your place, but He did. That's how much He cares about you. Hanging on the cross, the nails didn't hold Him on the cross. His love for you held Him on that cross. It's the only thing that held Him on that cross. He didn't have to die for you, but He did. He didn't have to die for me, but He did. Sinful, rebellious, full of my own ways, wanting the world, wanting the devil, dying because of it. God said, I'm going to take your place and die for you because I love you. Amen? So when He's hanging on the cross, what is holding Him there? The love of God. The Bible talks about they took cords and they bound the sacrifice to these cords right here on this altar. They tied that sacrifice down. Praise God. Well, hey, they're going to kill it while they got it tied down. Might have a little life in it. So they don't want it to jump off the altar, so they had to tie it to the horns. Jesus hanging on the cross taking your rebellion, taking your sin, taking my rebellion, taking your sin. His love is holding Him on that cross for us. They had to tie this sacrifice. So let's look at Psalm 118 and we'll see what the Bible says about that. Is everybody with me up to this point? God is the Lord. Say, God is the Lord. Which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords. Even unto the horns of the altar. So they had to tie that sacrifice to that altar. Bind the cords, right? Is that what it says? Even unto the horns of the altar. Now, this psalm right here is the last psalm that they sing on Passover. Does everybody know what Passover is about? A lamb was slain. Blood was shed. People came out of Egypt were delivered, right? Why? Because the Passover lamb's blood was shed. Who's the Passover lamb? Jesus. His blood was shed for us, right? This psalm is the last hymn that is sung on Passover. Jesus Christ, when He was... Remember talking about the Lord's Supper? With his disciples just before he died. The Bible says in John that he got up and he sang a hymn. What hymn did he sing? Psalm 118. This is the one that he would have sang. Now this is awesome. Because when he gets through with the Lord's Supper there with his disciples. He's going to go out. He's fixing to go and die for you. And before he goes out and dies for you on the cross. He sings this song right here. And in this Psalm, God is what he would have sung. God is the Lord, which has showed us light, 
bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. And Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of this passage, sang the song about Himself. And He walked out of that upper room and He went into a place to pray. And then they, take, they took Him and then He was placed upon a cross. He chose to do that. He sang that song and He chose to walk out. And because He chose to do that, that's why you can have the horns, the strength, the salvation, the security, and the power. Because He chose to do it. He didn't have to do it. And even in oh hallelujah! And even in this same psalm, it says we we know this verse of scripture. This is the Lord. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. He said, "Bind the sacrifice with the cords to the horns of the altar." But before that, he said, "This is the day that the Lord has made." Look at your neighbor and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Is this the day today? Today, is this the day that he's talking about there? He's talking about Calvary. He's talking about the resurrection. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to die on an old rugged cross for you, but I'm going to come out of the grave. This is a day that the Lord has made. He made the provision. I didn't. He did. Hey, Brother Andy. Where are you at, Brother Andy? Pull me volume down a little bit, all right? Say, this is the day that the Lord has made. And y'all sit around and act like it's no big deal. See, I remember in Lamentations where God asked the question, Is it nothing to you who pass by? I could take that verse of Scripture and apply it to Calvary. There were people that saw Him die on an old rugged cross. And the question could be asked, Is it nothing to you that pass by? You see the Son of God lifted up on a cross, but does it mean anything to you? See, it means everything to me. Praise God. Say it means everything. All right, brother, pull me up just a little bit. Hallelujah. Just a hair. Praise God. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We can't sit back and do nothing about what He's done. If you just sit there and don't do anything about the work of Jesus, you will die and the judgment of God's going to come on you and the brass is going to be the Lord in your life. But He took your place and He took my place. He's an awesome God. Y'all see that? Say brass, judgment, horns, Bound by cords. That was the Lord Jesus Christ for us. Amen. Isn't he awesome? Praise God. Praise God. Notice this verse 3. Thou shalt make. All right, brother. Uh, run before it's some. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Till we get some flesh hooks and some pans. 
Praise God. There you go, right there. Y'all see these flesh hooks, pans, forks? This is what we're talking about now. Thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes. Say pans. There's some pans that were used to collect ashes. Say ashes. They've taken that sacrifice with me. Sometime turn to Leviticus chapter 9 and read. Write it down if you want to. But I want to read to you Leviticus chapter 6, okay? Go over there. Uh, I might might read uh, Leviticus 9 for you, but since I'm there, so Leviticus 6 first though, all right? Praise God. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar all night unto the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. Okay, you with me? On that altar, there was burnt offerings that were given unto God. One in the morning and one at night. One at six o'clock in the morning, and it burned all day long. And one at six o'clock at night, and it burned all night long. So that offering was a continual sacrifice unto God. It never stopped burning. Are you with me? Okay, say six o'clock morning sacrifice. Oh, thank God for prayer. Six o'clock evening sacrifice. Never went out. Continually. You understand what we're saying here? Now, where did the fire come from originally? When it was first offered to God, the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 9, that the fire of God came down and consumed the sacrifice. I'll read it to you in just a moment. Okay, that's why you have ashes. Because it was burned up. It was consumed by the fire of God. Then later on, they built their own fires, you know, and the fire never went out. But originally, to begin with, God consumed the sacrifice Himself. Okay? Now, all right, verse 9. Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the burnt offerings. It is the burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar all night and unto the morning. The fire of the altar shall be burning in it. See that? The priest shall put on his linen garments, and his linen breeches shall he put on upon his flesh. Take up the ashes which the fire hath consumed with the burnt offering on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. He shall put off his garments and put on other garments and carry forth the ashes, say the ashes, without the camp unto a clean place. See that? The fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. It's continually burning. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order upon it. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. Okay? So I've got to show you something about these cords is what held the sacrifice on the altar so it wouldn't get off. There was life in it. You know, it wouldn't hop off the altar. Fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But again, it's not just a type of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. It's a type of what we do. This is the first step to salvation. The altar is the first step of salvation. You've got to come and present your body 
a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. If you're going to be saved, you're going to have to have an altar in your life. If you're going to be saved, you're going to have to repent. That means die to yourself. And it's got to be an everyday thing. You can't say, well, I repented of my sin ten years ago and I don't need to repent today. Every day of your life, you have to make a choice that you're going to die to your desires and say yes to Jesus. Every day. Paul said we die daily. You have to repent daily of your sins. You have to surrender daily to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not a one-time thing. It's a daily commitment. the problem see so many of you are like me I've come to an altar and I said Lord I repent of this sin I put it on the altar right and all of a sudden that sin starts wiggling I repented of it last week right oh somebody's got a little life in it not completely dead yet I'm not completely dead yet so he tries trying to come back alive so I got to get cords of love and I got to tie that thing down I've got to say no Lord I repented of that last week listen if you you know what you think if you repent of that and you say, okay, I make a commitment to Jesus that I'm not going to do this anymore. If you think that it's not going to have a little life in it and it's not going to wobble a little bit on that altar, I got news for you. The courts tell me it's going to come back alive. It's going to try to come back in your life and it's going to try to get a hold of you again. Oh yeah, I know, I know you ladies had an awesome conference. And y'all died to some things at that conference. But I want to tell you something. It's not totally dead yet. There's a lot of you who've made decisions about your commitment. And you've repented over your lack of commitment to God. But if you're not careful, that old fleshly thing will start wobbling again. And say, oh, I want to get back in your life again. So you got to say, no, I'm putting you on that altar, man. I'm tying you to that altar. And when you do, friend, leave it on the altar. Walk away from it until it's completely dead. You with me? You know what I'm talking about. Praise God. Can I tell you what? Listen. What would happen to us if Jesus' Spirit was no longer in us? We were not walking in fellowship with Him on a daily basis. What would we become? Do you know that we would go back and do exactly what we did before? If you were an alcoholic before you found Jesus, you'll be an alcoholic when you leave Him. 
If you were a drug addict before you found Jesus, you'll be a drug addict when you leave Jesus. Because you will go back to what you were before you found Him. That's why you have to die daily to your flesh. Because if you don't, your flesh will overpower you. I know what I, listen to me, I know what I'm talking about. You were a thief before you found the Lord. When you leave Jesus, you'll become a worse thief than you were before. Because your flesh is still alive. That old nature is still alive. So when you repent, you got to do it daily. you got to tie that thing to the altar and tell it, you're not getting up from here. I'm going to kill it. Because if you don't, a week from today, oh, you had a powerful emotional experience in God. But a week from today, that old thing will start flopping off the altar. And pretty soon, it'll be back in your life once again. And you thought you had victory over it, but you didn't have victory over it. you got to repent of it again. Are you here? So we have this continual. Now this burnt offering is a type of your devotion. I don't have time to get into five sacrifices today. I, I just encourage you to get Leviticus. Uh, the series on Leviticus where we, we taught in detail the sacrifices. It's on tape. I don't have time this morning. But I will tell you this about the burnt offering. The burnt offering was a picture of your commitment. It was a picture of your devotion. And it was fulfilled by Jesus on the cross because nobody has ever lived perfectly before God. So he said, I'll die. I fulfilled. I was, he was totally devoted, totally committed to the will of God. And then he died in our place because we haven't been. But that's no license for us to go out and live like the world and the devil and the flesh. Because he has died for us. I want to be committed. I want to live holy. I want to live right before Him. If I don't, I'm going to be bound. I'm going to be in bondage again. I'm going to be in bondage to sin. So, are you with me today? So you have to die daily. So that priest, after the sacrifice was made, well, there's some ashes. The sacrifice was held up by that grate off of the ground. The fire, of course, God, let me show you. Leviticus 9. I'm telling you, praise God. In verse 24. There came a fire out from before the Lord. Say before the Lord. The fire fell, and the fire was God's spirit. It was the fire of God that fell on that sacrifice and consumed that sacrifice. What I want to show you here is that when you really lay down your life. I'm going to say it again for those of you who, who got distracted right then. For, for those of you who are willing to really die. And you're really ready to lay your life down to the Lord. Yes, I know he died for us. But he's also told me to die. I, I fulfill these sacrifices in my life. So for those of you who are really ready to die. You're really ready to lay your life down for the Lord. You know what God's showing you? Then get ready for the fire of God. Because whenever you get ready to lay your life down. People say, boy, you know, if, 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 I, just, I would like to be on fire for the Lord too. 
How many of y'all want to be on fire for the Lord? How many of you want to be consumed with the fire of God? The only way that's going to happen is if you lay down your will. You lay down your life. And then God's fire and His power will consume that sacrifice. But you got to lay your life down. you got to give it to the Lord. And then the fire will come. So they put all the sacrifices in order on the altar. In verse 24, it says this. And there came a fire, say a fire, out from before the Lord. And what did it do? It consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat. God's fire burnt that thing up. Which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. They recognized this sacrifice took my place. So therefore now, I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to worship Him. And they shouted to the glory of God. When you really get a life that's been laid down for Jesus, you can't stop them from shouting. But a person who still wants this world, they still want to live the way they want to live. They still want to call the shots in their life. You'll never hear them praise. If they do, it's, it's a strange fire. But give me somebody that's laid their life down, that's been to the cross, who has a cross experience. I remember one, one preacher, Brother Kilgore, standing up and preaching, one of the greatest men of God I've ever heard preach in my life. Not one of the most powerful, but one of the most great. You're used by God. He stood up and he, he said this. He was preaching a conference. And he told the ministers this was a minister's conference. And he said one of the brethren, one of the elders came to him one day. And asked him a question about a, an upcoming evangelist. That was very, very mildly used by God in, the, in that movement. Amen. And Brother Kilgore said, I believe it was he that he asked, asked about this evangelist. And this other man told him, Brother Kilgore, I hate to tell you this. But that young man who had so much potential that was coming up and never had a Calvary experience. He never died to his will. He never died to his passions and his lust. He never died to sin in his life. And he has fallen. And I pray today that I'm not preaching to somebody in this church. There's just a, too much life in you. There's too much flesh in you. There's too much of you in you. You need to lay your life down. If you, don't, if you don't have a Calvary, if you don't have an altar experience in God, you know what? Your old flesh is going to, there's going to be too much life in it. And you're going to walk out in the world. And you're going to accuse the church and the ministry. And you're going to complain against God and the leadership. Because you've got too much of you inside of you. You've got to die to that. I told you. You may be saying, I told you about the time 
that I uh, was leading service in a church. Man, everybody in that church is so quiet. Seemed more like a death service than a, a worship service unto God. The Holy Ghost told me what was happening is all these people, we're all dying. We're dying. We're laying ourselves down, man. We're crucifying the flesh. You know what? The power of God fell. God's moving. Because when a church is willing to lay down its life for Jesus Christ, get ready for the fire of God. You don't have to work it up when you lay it down. When you lay your life down, the fire is going to be automatic. I know a lot of people try to work up the fire. But if you just lay your life down and commit yourself and give yourself to God, the fire is going to be there. You don't have to entertain. You don't, you don't have to work it up. It's going to fall. But, but listen, nobody wants to die. It's painful, man. It's painful. But if you want to walk with God, you're going to have to turn your back on the old lifestyle. You're going to have to say, no more will I go that way again. And you're going to have to die daily to yourself. Because if you don't, if I don't, I will become what I was before Jesus Christ. Look at your life today. Are you closer to God than you were when you first came in? you're not closer to God today than you were when you first came in you are becoming more like you were before you came in you gotta lay it down man you gotta die so the proof of that sacrifice that he was made was ashes with me go get those ashes the priest go get the ashes put them in the pan Hallelujah. Take them away. Say, take them away. Thank you, Lord. Leviticus 6, right? Are y'all still with me? He should put up his garments. Verse 11, put on other garments. Carry forth the ashes without the camp unto a clean place. Say, unto a clean place. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. Say, ashes. It's going to keep on burning, man. I don't know about you, but I want to keep on burning for Jesus. I want to be on fire all the time. But in order for me to be on fire all the time, that means I have to be dying all the time. So that he can live in me. So go get the ashes and take them away. So they went and they took Jesus cross, Christ off of the altar, the cross. Pull those nails out of his hands. Pull those nails out of his feet. Come on. Took him down off that cross, took his body off that cross, and bore it away. Carried it away, and put it in a clean place, a sepulcher. His body, his dead body, is the ashes. The ashes were, was the proof that the sacrifice was finished. You look at ashes, that means something's been burned up, something's finished, something's complete. Jesus hanging on the cross said, It is finished. Hallelujah. And the proof that he died was his dead body. Took the ashes off the grate. 
put him in the pan, carried him away, carried his body away, put him in a tomb, but that's not all, friend. Those pans speak to us of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because three days after he died, the spirit of the living God came back inside of that ash, back inside of that body, and resurrected him and carried him away. So, have you ever noticed in the Old Testament, when somebody really wanted to get a hold of God, what did they do? Job, the Bible says, sat down in sackcloth and ashes. Ashes? Why would you put, I'm not talking about Ash Wednesday. <laughs> I'm not talking about a 40-day four day period where you weep for Tammuz. I'm not talking about that junk. That's not God, that's Babel, that's Baalism, that's false, false religious system. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about Bible things. So Job, you know what? He needed to get a hold of God. So he got his little, he put his sackcloth on. You ever wore a goat? You know what? They used to make those toe sacks. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about? A toe sack? How many of y'all ever wore a toe sack? You know what a toe sack, potato sack? Okay, I don't, I don't, these are all y'all, y'all, you all city folk. Yeah, a bunch of city folk in here. You know what I'm talking about. Get in this rough garment, man. Sit down there and there's a picture of mourning. And they'd go get sacked, the ashes. Put it all over their head. Just, just cover themselves in ash. Not this. They would sit down in sackcloth and ashes. What in the world is that about? <laughs> well, yeah, it's a picture of mourning, but there's something deeper than that. Where did they get the ashes? Come on. Go ahead, finish it for me, Sister Cardoza. Where did they get the, where'd they get the ashes? The sacrifice. <laughs> good, good answer. The sacrifice, right? Praise the Lord. So they had been offering sacrifice unto God. And they had been burning those sacrifices unto God. So Job, you know what they do? They go get some of those ashes. Some of that sacrifice they'd been offering to God that had been burnt. And they'd sit down and they'd cover themselves in that ash. And they'd say, God, I need you. I have a request, God. I have a request. I have a need, God. I need to be healed, God. I need to be forgiven, God. So, God, I have some sacrifice that I've made, which I have a hold of to right now. And, Lord Jesus, I cover myself in the ash. And I'm backing my, my prayer up. I'm backing my need up with a sacrifice life. So some of you have a need today. You need healing. You need forgiveness. Well, you know what you do? You just go get in your Jesus. Get Jesus and just cover yourself in Jesus. And God will heal you. And God will forgive you. If you've got a need, get in your ashes. He's a good God. 
You with me? Do you understand that? I mean, they just cover themselves in previous sacrifice. Have you ever prayed and you couldn't break through? Have you ever been to church? You're, you're so carnal, so fleshly, you can't get your carcass off the pew? During the week, you can't get yourself up out of bed to come pray? You know what I have to do? I have to drag this carcass out of bed. And when I get here, my old flesh, that old carcass don't want to pray. So I just say, you know what, carcass, and I call myself carcass. I say, carcass, uh, I got you out of bed this morning. And now carcass, you don't want to pray, but carcass, body, I'm going to make you pray. You come to church and you don't feel like worshiping the Lord. But you got to tell your carcass, carcass, worship God. Hebrews 13 says, offer a sacrifice of praise. Your flesh don't want to praise. So you got to tell that carcass to praise. So your prayer life's going to be backed up by sacrifice. Come on. Well, if you're still having a problem with your carcass, then fasting. Fasting. Make him hungry. Starving, man. Starve that flesh. Don't let that flesh tell you what to do. You got to tell that flesh what to do. When my flesh don't want to preach, I tell the carcass, you're going to preach. When I got a bunch of carcasses with eyeballs looking at me, and they're just staring at me, I'm not going to let your carcass dictate to me what I'm going to do. I'm going to say no to the carcass and yes to God. Because, you know, our flesh wants to feel good, man. You know what? You don't want to be feel, you know, feel uncomfortable. So what you do then, if you can't break through in praise and worship and prayer, go on a fast. I mean, some of us could use it. <laughs> I'm going to save some of y'all a lot of money. Don't go spend a lot of money on diets. I'll tell you how to lose weight real fast. Don't eat. <laughs> Don't go spend money on that stuff. Put it in the offering plate. <laughs> I guarantee you, you fast 21 days. You won't worry about it. Won't be worried about how heavy you are. Because <laughs> you won't be heavy anymore. But what's happening though when you're doing that Is you are crucifying the flesh You are offering it as a sacrifice So that the next time you go to church oh, 
you throw your hands up, you couldn't feel nothing, you know, service before. But you've been fasting. You got in your Jesus. Next time you lift your hands, you feel like what's like lightning hits your body. And fire starts running down your hands. Don't tell me you can't feel God. I have felt time after time after time a consuming fire hit me and the hands run all the way down my body and I couldn't even stand up sometimes. You know what? Are you here? Isn't God good? You just back up your prayer life with a little sacrifice and the fire will come. That's right. Get ready. Have you ever noticed, say you fast on Sunday. You come to church on Sunday night and you've been fasting all day long. Have you ever noticed how powerful the anointing is upon you when you do that? See, I challenge y'all not to eat today. Come back to church tonight and see what happens to you. The power of God will hit you so hard. The anointing will be so strong. Because you're backing up your prayer and your praise with a sacrifice. Mm. God's good, isn't he? Say fire. How many of y'all want the fire of God in your life? Say the pans. Carry the ash. Oh, he was buried, but he rose. <laughs> well, let's see, let's see what else we can learn here. Exodus 27, right? Yeah. The Bible tells us something else. We go on, it says, uh, uh, shovels. Say shovels. What are shovels? What do you do with shovels? How many, bar- how many barbecues I got in here? What do you do with a shovel? You take the wood and put the wood over in the fire in the heat. You got to feed the fire. You got to feed the fire. So you need a shovel to feed the fire with. Come on, are you with me? Jesus Christ is all of these. He fed himself to the fire of God by choice. Are you with me? When he was going through his life and the devil came to tempt him to not go the way of the cross. By choice, he said, I'm going to die the death of the cross by choice. I'm going to position myself to be in the fire of God's judgment. I pray you're getting this. Let me show you something. 2 Corinthians 13, 4. See, it's taking us a while, but we're getting there. 2 Corinthians 13, 4, New Testament. All right, look at this. This this is a fulfillment of this. This shovel. 
For though he was crucified through, say with me, weakness. Are you here? Yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. How? Because we've chosen that way. Do you understand? Notice this. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. He by choice allowed himself to be positioned in the fiery judgments of God. And he became weak for us, though he be the almighty God, the all-powerful God. In the flesh he became weak so that we could be saved. So that we by choice position ourselves to be in the will of God. No matter how much we go through, we want to be in the fire. Let the flesh be burned up. Let the will be burned up. I have found that the longer that you live for the Lord, the weaker you become in your flesh. (laughs) And the less confident you are in yourself. And the weaker you become. But when you become weak in yourself, that's when the power of God comes upon you. And the old devil's going to come to you and he's going to tell you to go the easy road. Go the easy way. Forget the holiness. Forget the sacrifice. Forget the commitment. But you've got to say, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) All right, let's, boy, I got a long ways to go. We're just getting started. Next thing the Bible says, what? Well, it says basins. Say basins. Look at these basins. What are these basins for? Catch the blood. Leviticus 9 says the blood is poured out at the foot of the altar. With me? See, they burnt the flesh. What happened to the blood? Offered it to God. Poured it at the foot of the altar. The Bible says the blood of Jesus, he shed his blood. He didn't spill his blood, it wasn't by accident. He shed his blood, and that blood flowed out of his body down to the foot of the cross to save you from sin and death. That's the gospel. That's the good news for you today. I don't care what you've done. The blood of Jesus was shed for you that you might be forgiven, that you might be cleansed. doesn't matter what you've done. If you'll get at the foot of the cross. I don't know how much blood is in the body of a man. Do you know, sister, since you've been, you know, how much blood, you know? She likes y'all well. A lot. Not really a whole lot, but enough. How much? Five punts. We're going. All right. Well, we would take that. But you know what? It doesn't take five punts of the Lord's blood to cleanse you from your sin. One drop of that majestic crimson blood. One drop of that majestic crimson flow. One drop will cleanse the universe not just you but the universe and there at the foot of the cross were all kinds of hooligans man and notice the blood of Jesus flowed out for every one of them 
Only one drop of blood is all it took, would have taken to cleanse all those people. Those soldiers there, those that mocked him there, one drop of the blood is all it would have taken. You with me? But they didn't apply it to their lives, many of them. So then the basins here speak to us of applied blood. Because you got to take the blood and you got to pour it at the foot of the altar. You got to take some of the blood and you got to put it on the pieces of furniture in the altar. You got to cover everything in the blood. The blood has to be applied. Jesus died, He shed His blood for you. But you have to take the basin and you have to apply it to your life because it has to be an applied blood. So how did I do that? Well, one day I said, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. All the evil things I've said, done, and thought. Cleanse me with your blood. You know what? God forgave me. Then I got baptized in his name and had all those sins washed away. And I got filled with the Holy Ghost. And so I applied the blood. The basin speak of application of the blood. How many of y'all have applied the blood to your life? Well, we keep on going. That's not all, right? The Bible then tells us <clears throat> flesh hooks. Say flesh hooks. Three-pronged flesh hooks. See them? See? Where are them three-prongers? Uh, they made a mistake. <laughs> They did, huh? Three pronged flesh hooks. Don't position it. Gotta position it, right? Say position it. See, he chose to do it, but he listen. He said, not my will, but your will be done. Isn't God awesome? And then the next thing, the fire pans. Number five, the fire pans. They took fire that was on that altar. And they walked into the holy place. And just in front of the veil, there was the altar of incense. Come on. And it's a type of prayer. It's a type of praise. They took the fire off the altar, sacrifice. And they put it on the altar of incense. And they offered the incense up toward God. And a beautiful cloud and aroma filled that place. So what I do when I come to church is I say, Thank you, Jesus, for Calvary. Thank you for your sacrifice, Lord. I offer prayer to you. I offer praise to you. That's right, why in James 5, the Bible says the effectual. Look at your neighbor and say the effectual. It's effective prayer. The effectual, say with me, fervent. You know what it's translated, you know what the word fervent means? Red hot prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now listen, God hears the prayer when you say, Now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. 
If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul today. He hears that prayer. But there's some prayer you have to get red hot with. Sweat starts running down your face. Your clothes are saturated with perspiration. Because you're red hot, you're praying fervently. See, some people say, well, why y'all get so crazy? Why y'all get so fervent? Can't you just sit there and be, you know, all nice and, you know, hairs in place. Your clothes nice and dry. You know, can't y'all do that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I came out of a dead religious system. And I know, I know I got to get some fervency about this. I got to get red hot about this. Some of you say, well, well, Pastor, I'm just real quiet and shy. So am I. So if I'm quiet and shy and you're quiet and shy, why am I jumping around and screaming like an idiot? You're sitting there right nice and pretty. Don't give me that. Don't give me that. You got to get on fire for Jesus. I drove by your house the other day in the spirit. And I heard you screaming, Ah, why'd you do that? And you're the ones in the church sitting there. See, you're so passive in church. somebody crosses you or you slam your finger in the door or you hit the wrong nail with the hammer uh-huh. then tell me you're quiet and shy somebody steals your car steals your money steals your wife and now you're going to sit there oh, well okay People think we're insane. We're not insane, man. We know what it's about. We all throw some red, hot praise and prayer unto God. Listen to me. If you don't believe what I'm saying, just go to the book of Revelation. And see what my Lord says about lukewarmness. He said, if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you plumb out of my mouth. He, he's trying to show you that you've got to be on fire or he'll spit you out. Say the fire of God. 
How many of y'all have the fire of God in you right now? Hey, listen. You can't have the fire if you don't have the Spirit. We understand that. I don't expect you to come in here and show a fleshly display. And get full of the Holy Ghost. Repent. Get under the blood. Because until you get your flesh and your sin under the blood, when you come in here, you know what you're going to feel? You're going to feel wrath. You're going to feel judgment. You're going to feel condemnation. Because when God's Spirit moves, He always moves as a God of holiness. And if you're not holy, you're going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to feel conviction. You're going to feel the wrath of God. You're going to feel like running from this place. Because the holiness, the glory of God is here. So you got to get your sin under the blood. And when you get your sin under the blood, then when he comes, he hits the blood. And it's no longer wrath, but it's mercy. And love. See, that's why I can stand behind this pulpit and preach anything that's in that Bible. And I know that you're either going to run out of here because God's judgment the wrath going to come down and you're going to get it, your sin under the blood and then start praising the Lord. Are you here? You're going to run down to an altar and say, man, my old flesh still got a little life in me in it. I didn't know it was there. So I'm going to go down. I'm going to lay that thing down on that altar again. I'm going to tie it down. I'm going to let the fire of God consume it. I'm going to repent. I'm going to get it under the blood. Isn't God good? Back up to the altar, please. The altar, please. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? He's so good. He's so good. See the great in between there, the ground and up above it, suspending, holding him up. He was lifted up on a cross between heaven and earth. Now, I want to tell you something about Jesus Christ. He was the virgin born Son of God. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor he was virgin born. That means he didn't have a human daddy. He, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. Well, what about Joseph? Well, Joseph didn't sire him. He was a, uh, the father by adoption, you could say. His father was the spirit of God that was in him. God made his own body. And then moved into that tent. He said, I need a tent in the land. So I just build my own tent and then I move in. That's what God did. That's, so, that's what it is. He was virgin born. You know why that's so important? Because if he wasn't virgin born, the blood that he shed for you was tainted with sin. And it could not have been your sacrifice. But because he did not have sin in his blood, he didn't inherit a sin nature from Adam, then he could be this perfect sacrifice for you and me. Are you here? 
If you don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, then you are saying he was an antichrist. You don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. You don't believe in the creation of the world. Because God, the same God who said that he created the earth, is the same God that said Jesus was virgin born. And if Jesus wasn't virgin born, he was an antichrist. Come on, you got to hear me. For him, for he, for he, can you translate that? <laughs> for Jesus to claim what he claimed, he was either God or he was a lunatic. For Jesus to claim what he claimed, he was either God or he was an antichrist. So to deny the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is to call Jesus an antichrist. But I believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. He was not just a man. He was a son of God conceived by the Holy Ghost. So the virgin-born Son of God was taken down and put in a virgin tomb. In a tomb that no man, no man had ever laid. But something happened on the third day. Something very powerful. In fact, it's so powerful, the Bible talks that it was demonstrated power. Fire took place on resurrection morning. You know what causes fire? Light. Say light. light. <laughs> Say light. light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Light is an illuminating principle. It will enlighten you. Truth is enlightening. Jesus is the light. Not natural. True spiritual light. He's the light of the world. With me? Uh oh. Well, we got light. But you know what fire is? Light and heat. So he's light. He's illuminated principle. He's the Lord of truth. He is the way, the truth. He doesn't have truth. He is truth. He's the light of the world. God is light. So he's God. You with me? All right, so we know he's the light. But what about heat? Well, he's love. God is light, he's truth, but he's also love. So you got the two things you need to cause an explosion. You got light and heat. And so they took the light of the world, Jesus Christ, and the love of the world, Jesus Christ, and they put him in the sepulcher. There was a combustion that took place, and fire and explosion took place. And Jesus came walking out of the sepulcher on the third day, light and heat by combustion. talk to you about where I'm going here do you remember this God of the Old Testament who answers by fire who consumed the sacrifice in Leviticus chapter 6 he also consumed the sacrifice of Elijah 
Give God praise. Elijah said, the God who answers by fire, he is God. So they got the sacrifices, put them all up there on that altar, you know. Elijah says, so you don't think that this is natural fire we're dealing with. Won't you just pour water on these sacrifices? Come on. But there was a counterfeit altar. Say a counterfeit altar. There's always the counterfeit. You better get away from the counterfeit and get a hold of the real. And these bell worshippers were trying to get their God to answer by fire. Nothing happened. <laughs> Make a long story short. Elijah prayed. The fire of God came down and consumed that sacrifice. It licked up the water in the trench. <laughs> he is the God who answers by fire. What am I trying to tell you? Is if you've got a Pentecostal experience today on the inside of you, then you believe uh, that the God that's inside of you is the same God that consumed the sacrifice of Elijah by fire. So that on the day of Pentecost, when God poured out His Spirit on all flesh, the Bible said there was cloven tongues as a fire, and it set upon each of them. So on Pentecost, the same God who answered my fire came inside of me. To believe in the Pentecostal experience is to believe in the God of the Old Testament. To receive the Pentecostal experience is to be the burning bush of Moses. And Some of you sweet little sisters... I wonder how you were acting uh, the other day in that conference. I, I, bet, I bet all he had to do was say, Amen. And some of you sweet little sisters, he just said, Amen. Y'all, wah, wah, wah. And then you come back to church, you just say, Moly Low Shell. You're going to sit on my preaching when I preach. See, if I was preaching this at that conference, I want to tell you something. We'd have a move of God there too. But see, you come back to church and it's... Because it's, it's not about me. It's about this awesome word of the living God. When you go to a conference, you're He's the same God here as he was there. You with me? 
I got the God of fire in me. I got the God of fire in me. Are you here? See, the Spirit of God that was poured out on the day of Pentecost is the Spirit of God. And He brought fire with Him when He came. And you're looking at a man that has a burning bush experience like Moses had. And I'm looking at some brethren and some sisters, some of you. <laughs> oh! Some of you are like a burning bush of Moses. Some of you are, you know me. But I'm going to stand before the Lord of glory today. And I'm going to ask this Lord of glory, this Lord of fire, to come down and consume some of you wet wood and set you on fire. fire today means we don't have the God of fire in us amen how many of you know that God will come to everyone I said God God will come to everyone but he will not come to anyone he will not come to anyone. You have to do it His way. You can't do it your way. You got to do it His way. And when you do it His way, He will come to you just like He comes to everybody else. Praise God. Well, isn't God good? Y'all getting tired? I'm almost through. Hallelujah. He's a good God. He's a good God. He's a good God. Covered with blood, anointed with oil. Jesus hanging out on that old rugged cross for you. People down there for the cross, mocking him, laughing at him, making fun of him. And all of that's going on down there below. He's hanging on the cross. You know what the Bible says in the Song of Solomon? His name is as ointment poured forth. When he's hanging on the cross and he dies, his name is as ointment poured forth. You go to Exodus chapter 30, this place was anointed with oil. You go to Exodus chapter 30, it had five ingredients to it. There's five ingredients to the name of Jesus. That's the anointment that's poured forth. What are the five ingredients of the name of Jesus? Isaiah 9 and 6. You ready to find out who he is? Somebody get that and stand up and read it real loud. Real fast. You got to get real fast here, okay? Isaiah 9 and 6. I want to show you the five ingredients of the anointed name of Jesus. All right, brother? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful. 
Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. On the cross, His name was as ointment poured forth. He's the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Counselor, Everlasting Father. He's not just a son. He's the everlasting Father. He's the anointed sacrifice. Glory to God. Well, hallelujah. Let's see what else we need to cover. And I think I might let you go pretty soon. Okay, verse 5. Thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar. This is the grate. We've already talked about that. Beneath that the net, maybe even to the midst of the altar. Say, midst of the altar. Isn't God good? Thou shalt make staves for the altar, staves of, of acacia wood, and overlay them with brass. He didn't stay in the grave, man. He moved out of the grave. He's not dead this morning. He's alive this morning. He's alive this morning. He's not dead. He's alive. And now, it's a wonderful privilege of the church to take this message of Calvary to the whole world and let them know you don't have to die and be lost. You can be saved and filled with the Spirit of the living God and be on fire for Jesus. Amen. Look at it. Verse 8. A hollow with boards shalt thou make it as it was showed thee in the mount, so shall they make it. Hollow. I told you when we first got started, every piece of furniture could fit inside of that. But that looks little up there, but it was big. Every one of them. Now I'm not saying all at the same time. I'm just saying each one could fit inside of that hollow altar. Hallelujah. You know why I have the Holy Ghost today? Because of Calvary. You know why I stand healed in my body today? Because of Calvary. You know why I stand forgiven today? Because of Calvary. Everything. You know why I'm baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of my sins? Because of Calvary. The labor fit in there. You know why I can pray? Calvary. You know why I can understand the Word of God? Calvary. It's all because of Calvary. Everything you receive from God is based on His work of Calvary. If it wasn't for Calvary, none of us would be here today. Because of Calvary, there is a church. Because of Calvary, there's people like you. Because of Calvary, there's people like me. Because of Calvary today, the love of God flows into this place instead of His judgment. I mean, hey, he, if he came in judgment, he could wipe us all out. But because of Calvary, he comes in here and, hey, praise God. 
This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We're going to rejoice. Look at verse 9. And I'm almost through. Thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle for the south side southward. Brother Furman, if you'll back this up, the very first part of this picture series. Amen. It says there's going to be a court of tabernacle for the south side southward. There shall be hangings for the court of fine twine linen of a hundred cubits long for one side. Amen. Right, oh, that's good. Right there. Thank you, brother. Looky here. So as you walk through that gate, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you come to the book of Acts, repentance, water baptism in His name, and filling of the Holy Ghost. First step to be saved is to repent of your sins. That's not all you got to do, though. That's just the first step. Amen? Notice this outer enclosure. Now you're inside this court, and you're surrounded by the righteousness of Jesus Christ and it's a righteousness that has been given to you as a gift because of this right here so now I stand in the outer court and I'm surrounded by the righteousness of God the white linen I'm clothed in the righteousness of God because of Calvary there I am like a little caterpillar in a cocoon surrounded in his righteousness you know why because I walked through the gate one day, lifted this gate up, repented of my sins, baptized in His name and filled with His Spirit, and now I'm in this outer court. But I want you to see something. This outer court is open. Tabernacle has coverings. This court is open, wide open. So that means this. The only protection you have is the blood. If you're not under the blood today, you are not under the protection of God. You're out in the open air. You can be attacked by demons and be attacked by all kinds of circumstances and problems. And you're dying while you live. You get under the blood. And that outer court, you have protection. It's the protection of God. But remember last week we told you this silver came from the half shekel of the offerings of the people. Half shekel for atonement for their souls. The blood was not the only thing they brought to recognize atonement. It was what? The half shekel of silver. And with that half shekel of silver, Exodus tells us, I believe it's verse 30, chapter 30, that it was for an atonement for the soul. So you got the blood. That's the character of your salvation. That's the blood of Jesus Christ, the precious blood. But this silver shows you how costly the sacrifice was. It was extremely costly for you to be standing in His righteousness. Numbers chapter 4, the Bible says, they took this altar and when they journeyed, they covered it with a purple covering. Then they covered it with badger skins. So that when they walked through the wilderness, carrying that altar, all they saw was those old ugly badger skins. 
That's Jesus in his first coming. When they looked at him, there was no beauty that they should desire him. Nothing outwardly that appealed to the flesh that would want you to follow, cause you to want to follow the Lord. That's the badger skin. But don't forget that under the badger skin is the purple, his majesty, and his glory. And the next time he comes, he's not coming as the lowly Nazarene with badger skins. The next time he comes, he's coming as the king of glory, splitting the clouds of heaven, riding on a white charger in great majesty and power. And he's coming very soon. Very soon. And a Calvary might not be too appealing the message of you for you today right now, but I'm going to tell you something. If you'll flee to Jesus, He'll forgive you, He'll cleanse you, He'll fill you with His Spirit, He'll save you. And you'll be ready for when He comes as King of kings and Lord of lords. But if you never do anything about this Jesus in this Calvary, you never do anything about it, when He comes the next time, He's going to come as your judge, not as your dying Savior. And in Malachi chapter 1, the Bible calls the altar right here, the table of the Lord. Where we sit down reunited with Him in a relationship of love. And that's what He has provided for you. A table where you can come and sit down with Him and be in a relationship of love with your God. He loves you that much. And the next time He comes, I'm going to go to be with Him as the bride. And I'm looking forward to that day. Very soon. Now, let me tell you something. The book of Revelation is on Sunday mornings. We just started the book of Revelation. Sunday morning, say Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, 101.3 on FM. FM. Book of Revelation. Y'all pray with me that God uses those messages to wake people up. Because I want to tell you something. Those messages, as you know, because you heard them preached, I had a coal of fire on my lips when I preached them. I wasn't playing patty cake with Jesus. I, I preached it, man. So you pray that God uses these. So some of y'all want to hear the book of Revelation series? Right, you don't have to come over to my house. You can hear it on the radio. But pray that God uses it. That many people will come to Him in repentance before they find themselves standing before Him in His majesty. Let's pray. Father God, I just come before you today and I praise you. God, I praise you. I worship you. I thank you for the ladies, God, that have come back from that conference fired up and full of the Holy Ghost. I pray for the men of our church that we would get rid of our lukewarmness and our Laodicea spirit and we would repent and we would get on fire also. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for being the antitype, the fulfillment of the brass serpent on the pole. 
Hallelujah. I don't want the devil to control my life anymore. I don't want him to have a part in my life anymore. I put myself in your hands right now, Lord. You've judged that devil on the cross. You've judged him. You've defeated him. You came out of the grave, Jesus, alive. And now you have filled us with your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. So what's the first step coming to God then? Death. Second step is what? Burial in water in the name of Jesus. Is that enough? Now i got to be filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus said, you must be born again of the water and the Spirit, or you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You can't get in here. You can't get in here. There's a blood trail leads all the way from here, all the way to the Holy of Holies. You can't get in there without the new birth. Amen? Give God praise. Lift your hands and worship Him. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Isn't God good? I want to share something with y'all. I'm going to let you go home, all right? Till tonight, anyway. You know, I heard all these good things that happened with you ladies at the conference. And I started wondering, well, hey, I've been preaching some of the same things with no, no, no effect. No change. And I was getting really upset about that. Why? Y'all go to a conference and you get all fired. You change your life completely. Amen. Then you come back. Are you here? But God helped me about 3 o'clock in the morning last night. I listened to all those tapes, you know. I want to see what in the world God did it for, man, you know. I was listening to all these tapes. Not all of them, but I listened to about 3.30 in the morning. I said, God, I was just thinking to myself those things. And God said, you know what? That's why I have the fivefold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And what you can't do, somebody else can do. And what they can't, somebody else can do. And what they can't, somebody else can do. And that's why I had the five, four minutes. I said, thank you, Jesus. I don't feel so bad anymore. <laughs> so God's good. And I'm, I'm glad y'all are on fire. Your life's completely changed. Just don't forget, your old flesh wants to get off that altar, man. Say, no, Lord, I love you too much. I want to get up, but I'm not going to get up. I mean, you know, I, I heard her talk about everything from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. Hallelujah. About not dyeing the hair and not painting the toenails. I said, my, that lady covered everything from the top of their head to the sole of their feet, man.
and he gave you reasons for it. And he didn't walk out there saying, well, I wonder why. You said, now I know why. So I give God praise. So I invite everybody to come back to church tonight. Amen. And we're going to listen to these ladies preach to us. Hallelujah. What I mean by that, they're going to give their testimony. And if it don't get out of control, I might preach. If it gets out of control, I am not going to preach. Hallelujah. I want, I want something y'all got to rub off on me and on everybody else too, you know? Thank you, Jesus. Isn't God good? All right. Revival with Brother Carlos Cinecedos. Wednesday and Thursday of this week. He called me yesterday. He said he's coming in 325 on Wednesday. He will be here. So get ready for an awesome move of God. And what Charles Mahaney couldn't do and LaJoyce Martin couldn't do and Ruth Reader couldn't do and whoever else couldn't do, uh, maybe Brother Carlos City Santos can do. If he can't do it, we'll have Brother Saul Avila come the first part of next year. And what Brother Carlos Sinicelos can't do, maybe Brother Saul Avila can do. But we need to, if we're here, that is, if we're here. Can I ask you a question? How many of y'all know when the Feast of Trumpets is? September the 30th and October the 1st. Two, of course, it's two days. You know what that is going to be fulfilled by? The rapture of the church. There's going to be the sounding of the horns. The trumpets. They were made out of shofar, the ram's horns. That's going to be the sounding of that trumpet. And just like Jericho fell, talk about power. God's going to come back in power. Now, it could be this month. I'm not setting dates. I'm just telling you that it could be this month. Because Jesus died on Passover. He was buried in the grave to fulfill the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Three days later, He came up on the Feast of first fruits. with me? Fifty days later, the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost was poured out. And right now, we're in between Pentecost and the next one, and that's the Feast of Trumpets, and that's the harvest season. And the Feast of Trumpets is going to happen September 30th and October the 1st, which I believe could be when Jesus comes back for the church. So if you're not ready, you better get ready. And, and let me just tell you this. It doesn't have to be on Rosh Hashanah. It doesn't have to be on the Feast of Trumpets because in the Spirit, God fulfills everything. He fulfills all the types in the shadows in the Spirit. How many of y'all believe in the imminent return of the Lord? Which means He can come back at any time. Which means He can come back before I come back to church tonight. So I'll just go up into heaven with you. We'll have a good old conference for the rest of our lives. But I'm trying to tell you, 
that if you think you got a lot of time to get ready, you don't have a lot of time. You better get ready while you got the chance. And our revival, this Wednesday and Thursday, is called Rapture Ready Revival. And I'm praying that God will set us, those of us that need to be set back on fire, He will set us back on fire with the Spirit of God. So y'all, be praying, be fasting about this uh, revival that's coming up. All right, in Jesus' name, we're going to have an awesome time. How many of y'all going to come to the, for that revival? Revival? How many of y'all going to bring all your friends with you? And your neighbors? And your family? Oh, revival. Look at your neighbor and say, Revival. Say the church is paid for now. Revival fixing to happen. Then the pastor can move. Hallelujah. That's my favorite one. God bless you. I'll see y'all tonight. Hallelujah.